And hello to you and welcome to the Motivation Podcast from motivateyourself.co.uk. I'm Richard Nichols and I'm here to guide, to teach and to motivate you to be the best you can be. It's episode number four in my July series on happiness and I mentioned last week that today's episode would be about physiology in some respect and so I want to spend a little time this week talking about what our body does that creates a happy feeling and one of the best ways of making it do it so we can all go around with a contented feeling and I warn you now the answer may not be what you want to hear because I'm going to cut to the chase early on, to be fair. Because although I'm going to go into the hows and whys that this particular thing helps, this particular way of improving our brain function, our mood, and our sense of pride and pleasure can sometimes be hard work. Not all the time. and doesn't always have to be hard work, but... You may recoil when I say it, because if you haven't already figured it out yet by yourself, one of the answers to our prayers of how to be a happy person is this. Exercise. I'm sorry to say it, as I know a lot of people in the 21st century go, oh, isn't there an easier way? Because we've got so used to getting answers to our questions from Google instead of going to the library. So used to putting Christmas shopping on our credit card rather than saving up throughout the year. And we've got so lazy that instead of leaving our chair to even put a DVD in the player, we get Netflix. So all we've got to do is just push a button. We've become a society that wants it easy. To the point where instead of actually doing sit-ups, we'd rather spend a hundred quid or more on getting an electrical machine that stimulates the abdominal muscles for us. So we can do the equivalent of... A dozen or more stomach crunches every couple of minutes whilst watching TV. And Slender Tone rub their hands together because they know we'll buy it. Because everyone, everyone, really, feels the the pull of the path of least resistance. But a Slender Tone abdominal stimulation machine just doesn't have the same effect, I'm afraid. Studies have shown that one of the reasons antidepressants do what they do is because they mimic the effects of exercise, only with some, often, nasty side effects. (laughs) So what is it that exercise does to us that improves our happiness? And crucially, how little can we get away with doing to make sure we still have an effect? Well, we know that exercise helps to create new brain cells in the part of the brain responsible for learning and memory. So if you're learning something new, then exercise will help it to stick. And if what you're learning about is how to be happy, then you're well on your way. But there's more to it than that. Just because happiness and exercise are similar in two ways. Both are associated with a boost to the immune system, but also with the release of endorphins. Endorphins are chemicals that either help to speed up signals being sent through the brain, or to stop them if needs be. And they get produced when we experience pain in order to help block it out, but they're also responsible for our feelings of pleasure. In fact, it's been theorised that problems with endorphin production may be responsible for clinical depression, so they play quite a big part in our mood. So let's look at how we can make these endorphins flow. Well, I mentioned that pain produces endorphins, but normally we don't notice the feeling good side of the endorphin release because we're 
fairly preoccupied with the pain we've just experienced. But you can understand, because of this, how people end up self-harming. If after enough exposure we learn how to block out a great deal of pain, then the only thing we're left with from it is the pleasure side of the endorphin release. And also remember that the, the brain doesn't really know the difference between physical pain and emotional pain, which is why sometimes we can get into habits such as arguments and even violence in relationships that we know shouldn't make us feel good, but it actually releases these endorphins and so pushes the pleasure button in the brain. Not good. Very bad habit. There are much nicer ways of producing these endorphins without cutting open your arm or screaming at your partner. And some of it isn't just because of the exercise itself, it's also because of the environment. When um, going for a bike ride or a run, even a 20-minute walk to the post office, it gets you out of the house and into the fresh air. It reminds the brain that you're in a populated society because there are people around you, even if you hardly talk to them. Remember what I said earlier in the month about the research into chatting on trains? Meeting people, even just walking past them, just nodding your head or saying, morning, is going to lift your spirits and override what could easily have been a monotonous and miserable existence. So we don't have to be pushing ourselves to an anaerobic point of oxygen starvation, which is what the runner's high is. Don't think you've ever stumbled across that phrase before, the runner's high. It's a, a point in extreme exercise that athletes report does create great euphoria, probably because the body is screaming out for energy and oxygen and it's hurting. But it takes a great deal of either extreme cardiovascular exercise or weightlifting, something like that. But if all you want to do is lift your spirits, it doesn't need to be this extreme. A brisk walk is going to start the ball rolling, let alone going for a jog or a bike ride. Because when we exercise, our bodies burn the stress hormone cortisol. Too much stress and high cortisol levels can increase feelings of nervousness and anxiety, while decreasing motivation and immune function. We do live in a stressful society, and not just because of what's going on around us, that our bodies are really not built for, but also what goes on in our head. The brain doesn't know the difference between what's real and what's imaginary. And if we have some bad habits of thinking negatively, as well as leading busy and stressful lives, then we will overproduce cortisol which will tell our brain to send signals to hide under the bed. So because exercising burns cortisol, it prevents our stresses from having an influence on our mood function, preventing depression and increasing feelings of well-being instead. What's not to like? Well, I think we all know what's not to like. Getting off our asses and actually doing it, that's what's not to like. And as I said at the beginning of the episode, we all want a quick and easy answer, but sorry, there isn't one. We just have to face facts that our brains and bodies are built for a society that existed thousands of years ago, where we did a lot of running about and didn't have the cognitive function to worry about stuff. But in the modern age, it's a wonder we can even learn to walk. Imagine if, as an adult, we have to go back to being a, a, a fumbling baby again and have to learn how to hold a pencil 
learn how to put one foot in front of another and walk. Would we give it up as a bad job? Probably. But babies don't, because they don't understand the concept of giving up. They aren't intelligent enough, ironically. And that lack of intellect is what makes them a better version of us than we are when we're adults. Well, we need to remember that. We need to know that it's really easy to tell ourselves that we can't push ourselves any further. And that to improve our mental and physical health will mean we have to ignore ourselves when we're telling ourselves that we can't be bothered to go for a jog. I can pretty much guarantee that everyone you see jogging down the street has told themselves that they can't be bothered. But they do it anyway. Because the actions of being bothered come before the feelings do. You can't sit and wait until you can be bothered. You have to do it first. And I think that's what everyone forgets. If they even realise it in the first place. The actions come first and the feelings come afterwards. And it doesn't even need to be done every day. Yes, it would be amazing to set the alarm for 30 minutes earlier than you normally would and go for a jog every morning, but every other day would be fine. And if that seems too unrealistic, then fine. Like I say, the actions of motivation come first, and the feeling of being motivated comes afterwards. So look at what is realistic. Is it simply a jog on a Sunday morning for 10 minutes? Then fine, just do that. It's easy to look at the final goal of being this super fit, super happy character and wishing you could be it now and giving it up as it seems too unrealistic. So don't just look at the end result. Look at the steps in between that will take you there. If you wish you could be that kind of person who does get up 30 minutes earlier than you do now and goes for a run every morning before jumping in the shower and gets ready for the day loving life, then you can be. But not just like that. Maybe it does have to be once a week at first. Maybe even for six months. That's okay, isn't it? Because after six months of doing 30 minutes of jogging every Saturday, it feels easier to also think of doing it on a Wednesday after work. Maybe even for another six months. And so a year after you dragged yourself off the sofa, you're now going running twice a week. And even, maybe considering doing it on a Friday before work. It might take a while, but so what? The end result is not just feeling physically healthier, but there's also pride and pleasure and a real boost in your happiness levels. But don't just take my word for it. Ask people. Speak to your friends and family about it. Yes, there will always be the horror stories of seemingly fit people who keel over with heart attacks after a jog, but you know, that was going to happen anyway, whether they'd been jogging around the streets or, I don't know, having sex. I'm not quite sure which way I'd prefer to go. Dying after sex sounds like a great idea if I was allowed to choose. I'm not sure my wife would get over that very easily. It might be better just to keel over playing Wii Sports. Either way, I'd rather keel over after a with a congenital heart defect, knowing that at least I did my best to be healthy. And with pride and happiness as well. Anyway, yes, there will always be these horror stories if you look for them. And we are biased. We are full of psychological biases. That means we tend to look for evidence around us that supports our pre-existing beliefs. That's normal. That's just being human. Be aware of it so that you can break away from it 
and start looking for reasons to get out there and use your body. Now, oh, we're 12 minutes in and a bit. So before I go, I want to say hello and thank you to Collins J, who left a review on Stitcher that said, life-changing, no exaggeration, this podcast has opened my eyes to so much. Since I started listening, I've learned how to deal with tests and keep calm, learned how to be happy and motivated, and I've turned myself around. I look forward to every new episode, and I'm never disappointed. Thank you so much, Richard. Hmm. And I mention this because it's nice to say thank you to someone for leaving a review, but also I want to encourage everyone who enjoys the podcast to let me know, one way or another, that you do. And if you make it public, as Collins J did then I can read it out, as I'm not allowed to share an email with the world, but an iTunes review or similar, then I, then I can. But it's useful for me to know if it's actually worthwhile recording these episodes. I wouldn't do it if I didn't think I could make a difference, even to one listener, so it's really nice to see that what I do is helping. So please let me know your success stories, and I will speak to you next week. Bye for now.